Good morning, church. Good to be with you today. It's always a joy and a privilege to be at Riverside. There's so many people here that I love dearly that have known me for a long time that I've known, and I've had a great history with this church as well, so it's a privilege to be with you. This morning, I want to start uh, by remembering and reflecting on Acts chapter 16, Paul's beginning of his second missionary journey. Paul has this vision in the night of a man from Macedonia. And the man says, Paul, please come here and help us. And he wakes up the next day and tells his partners in ministry, I, I, I feel this vision is a calling for us to go to Macedonia. Um, Barnabas doesn't agree, goes a different way. Paul and Silas head off on their second missionary journey. And on the way to Macedonia, one of their stops, they pick up a young minister named Timothy. And then Timothy tags along with them. And they end up in Macedonia going to the kind of the, the lead city in that district, Philippi. And in Philippi, they go out of town by the river to worship one day. And they meet this woman, Lydia. And she's a businesswoman, a seller of purple, and a worshiper of God. And she overhears them talking, and she's intrigued. And she engages them in a conversation. And they share with her the good news of Jesus. And Lydia and her family are baptized that day. And the church in Philippi is born. The very first church on the continent of Europe is now planted in Lydia's household. Paul and his team continue to minister in Philippi. And day after day, they are followed by this woman who has a spirit of divination that allows her to read fortunes. And her master's abuse this and exploit this for their own financial gain. Finally, Paul gets so annoyed at her because she just follows them around day after day, proclaiming to all, these men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation over and over and over. And so finally one day when he's fed up, he casts out the demon. I order you in the name of Jesus Christ out of her Within the hour, the spirit leaves, and she is healed. And you think this would lead to great rejoicing in Philippi. But instead, Paul has messed with the economy. The masters are upset because now their business model is ruined, and they can no longer exploit her for their own financial gain. A whole other good side sermon would be on this dynamic of how many times in Scripture do we see the love of God in Jesus Christ heal and transform broken people? And because it messes with economic forces, the community rejects the love of God in Jesus Christ. Like remember the man whose spirits were legion and, and Jesus cast them into the pigs. And these pigs run off the cliff into the lake and drown. People of that town didn't go, praise God, we're so thankful for this man who's been tormented all these years. No, each pig that jumped off that cliff had money signs attached to it. And all they saw was the economic loss. So many problems in our society, homelessness, malnutrition, 
could be solved except that too many people would be upset at what it did to them economically. And they would react probably in much the same way as these people react to Paul. They go to the city officials and they say, these are Neldrewells, these are no good rebel rousers. They're disturbing our city and advocating for customs that are not lawful for us being Romans to adopt and observe. For the sake of the community and the good citizens in it, these men need to be put in jail. And so the authorities round them up, strip off their clothes, beat and flog them, and throw them into prison. And while in prison, Paul, and Silas, and the others worship God say prayers, sing hymns, and the other inmates listen to them. And one night a great earthquake comes and rattles the entire city and shakes the foundations of the prison so hard that the prison doors come open. And the jailer who's in charge of keeping these prisoners in jail immediately panics and knows that he'll be held accountable even for a natural disaster that's out of his control. And he's ready to take his sword and end his own life. When he hears from the prisoners that no one has left, and it leads to an opportunity for Paul and the others to tell him the good news of God's love in Jesus Christ. And that day, that jailer and his family hear the word, and are baptized. And now Lydia's household church has new members. And this family of this jailer have now joined as brothers and sisters in Christ. And the text goes on to tell us that after getting out of prison, and going to Lydia's house and being cared for by this church and having his wounds healed up, then Paul and Silas and Timothy hit the road and depart to the next city. These people, these names, these faces are the ones that Paul is writing to in the book of Philippians. And he sees those faces. He recalls those names. He remembers those stories of the time we met Lydia by the river, of all the hospitality that she showed us in her home, of how traumatized that jailer was by that earthquake, and how much joy he found in hearing the good news of Jesus. And in how that community rallied around him and Silas and Timothy and how it continued to sustain them financially throughout their ministry. How many times Lydia took money from her business and invested it in Paul and Silas and Timothy. And how many times that jailer took some of his government salary and sent it to them so that they could continue 
to proclaim the good news. These are the people that Paul remembers and sees when he opens the book of Philippians with these words. I thank my God for every remembrance of you, always in every one of my prayers for all of you, praying with joy for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will continue to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because I hold you in my heart for all of you are my partners in God's grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I long for all of you with tender affection of Christ Jesus. And this, this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what really matters. So in the day of Christ, you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. The word that Paul uses in talking about these friends is koinonia. It's a, a Greek word that we often translate fellowship. Many of our versions, when you read this text, will say, I thank you for your fellowship in the gospel. But I really like the NRSV version because it really taps into the deeper meaning of this word, the notion of partnership. But when we think about fellowship, I, you know, I, I think back to my childhood, to the church I grew up in in East Texas. I think about fellowship in terms of being together, of socializing. Our church built a a, a separate building that they named the fellowship hall. And that's where we would have the most epic potlucks in the history of East Texas. And I remember as a kid, all the amazing food that we would eat after church at one of those fellowships. I had probably tried a hundred different kinds of banana pudding by the time I was 12. And, and you learn how different people make spaghetti or macaroni and cheese or broccoli and cheese casserole or just how many different types of salads you can make with Jello. And my friends and I were like so into the fellowships that we would kind of like find a way on those Sundays to, to kind of saunter through the fellowship hall before church and watch where the best cooks put down their dishes. So we, know, we knew where to target when we went through the line. And I had a special place of authority and privilege because I was the preacher's kid. And I had eaten in more homes than any of my friends. So all these people that had the preacher and his family over, I had inside intel. I can tell you who makes the best this, that, or the other. And so my friends would say, just follow John wherever John goes. Well, I'm sure Paul had had many a wonderful meal with the church in Philippi. And he knew who the best cooks were too. But that's not the notion of fellowship he speaks of here. He means really this notion of, of partnership, of business partnership, of literal financial investment. And in fact, that's why he writes to the Philippians. When he writes, again, he finds himself stuck in prison, a bad habit that Paul tended to have. He's in prison yet again, 
And he writes one to assure them that he's okay. They know he's in prison, they're worried about him, and so he writes to let them know how he's doing. But also, they have sent to him more financial support. And their gift was taken to him by a man named Epaphroditus. And when Epaphroditus arrives and gives the gift to Paul, Epaphroditus gets very sick. So sick that he can't travel back. So sick that he nearly dies. Paul wants to thank them for the gift that he brought, but also let them know that Epaphroditus is going to be okay. And so when he talks about koinonia, partnership in the gospel, he literally means financial investment. That you are actively participating in the work of God's grace, in the work of God's love in the world. You're not just a recipient of it. You're not just a fan of how God's love changes lives. You're not just a bystander or a witness. No, we are actively at work with God in the work of God. We are shareholders, stakeholders, business partners in the business of sharing God's love with others. And so he wants them to know who they are. He wants to thank them for their impact, for their action, and for continuing to stay with him. Thank you, Lydia. Thank you, Jailer. Thank you to all your family and friends for the ways you continue to invest. And he writes to them in uncertain times. From the very beginning of their life together, they have experienced adversity. There have been opponents to who they are. There have been challengers to what they believe. And that continues to torment them. Any church that exists for a while ends up having internal conflict. And they're dealing with church squabbles. And they're having to deal with this uncertainty of how is Paul, what happens if he doesn't get out of jail? What happens if he finally is put to death? How will the work of God continue? How will this business that we're involved in go on if Paul's not okay? And what about our dear Epaphroditus? How is he? Is he being cared for? Is he going to make it? What does he need? Will he ever come back home to us? I thought this text might be timely, as I know this church is in a time of uncertainty too. Who will be the next preacher? Will we find one? What does it mean for our future? Who are we now? Who will we be? And these words from Paul remind us of who we are, that we are partners, shareholders in the work of God. Paul tells the Philippians, look, church, I'm going to be okay. And you need to know Epaphroditus is going to be okay. And even more than that, church, you're going to be okay. And my prayer for you is that no matter what happens to me, or to Epaphroditus, that God's love continues to work in your life and that you continue to learn more and more about what God's love looks like in public.
that you get more knowledge and more insight into what it means to love God and to love your neighbor. And that that will overflow in this harvest of righteousness. I love this text and what it tells us about ourselves and the work we're involved in. And I love what it reminds us about God. Our God is always out in front. Our God is always leading us into the future. And one of the things it means when we become a follower of Christ is that we become future-oriented too. As followers of Christ, we always believe the best is yet to come. We always believe that there's a more full expression of God's kingdom just right around the corner. We always believe that we're a part of the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And until that time of fullness, we live in anticipation of what's just on the other side of the hill. Our God doesn't get stuck in the past. Our God isn't overwhelmed by the present. Our God is leading us into the future. And so the call to remember has a a unique purpose for us as followers of Christ. We remember the past because it reminds us that God is with us and that God works through real people with real names and real life stories to do God's amazing work of love. So Paul remembers Lydia and remembers all the other brothers and sisters in Philippi and reminds them of the love that they've shared, of all that they've been through as a way of saying, so trust that we're gonna be okay moving forward. The same is true for us. At some point, the Riverside Church of Christ had an origin story like the church in Philippi. It was birthed and real people did it. Their lives came together in real ways and there's probably a great story about how that happened. And from that time to this day, there's story after story after story of of how people have come together as a part of this community and been used by God to change lives and change the world. And that work continues today. And you have a share in it. You are partners in God's grace. And that work always has a future. And so Paul would say, church, you're okay. And we may not know who the next preacher of Riverside is going to be. We don't have certainty about that, but what we're certain of is you're going to be okay. God's mission is going to be okay. God's mission is going to be intact. And the truth about the future is our business models will change, but God never goes out of business. God will continue to do the work of saving his people through God's love. Now, Future generations 
may not have a fellowship hall. They may not try a hundred types of banana pudding by the time they're 12. But in somehow, in some way, God is going to touch their lives. And God is going to use the church in whatever form it needs to take to faithfully tend to God's business. Lives will be changed. People will be loved. A harvest of righteousness will be produced. And so it is with that hopefulness and that confidence that we move forward together and that we trust in Paul's prayer for our lives. So I invite you to stand with me. God wants us to look back, not so we'll get good old days syndrome. The good old days were never that good. Remember how when everybody was dying of polio, that was awesome. Remember when we didn't have indoor plumbing, those were the good old days. There's always ways we could look back and say, really? (laughs) Were the good old days all that good? What made them good is God was at work and alive and real people were the instruments of God's love. And that will continue today and into the future. And so Paul's prayer for all of us, fellow partners, stakeholders, investors, and God's grace. My prayer is that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what really matters so that in the day of Christ, you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. And all God's people said, amen.